In, um, in recent months, you may have read in the news about uh, how certain, certain publishers are updating the texts of, uh, of authors um, from a few decades ago. So writers like, you know, famous writers like Agatha Christie or Roald Dahl or Enid Blyton, the publishers are now seeing the need to want to update the text because apparently the text written just a few decades ago is no longer, you know, politically correct, no longer meets modern sensibilities and we need to update it and so on. Now, I don't want to get into the debate of that, but it struck me that, you know, these books were written just a few decades ago and already people see the need to want to to update the wording. But this morning, as we heard read to us, we're going to be looking at Psalm 1, which was not written a few years ago or a few decades ago or a few centuries ago. It was written many thousands of years ago. And in a day and age where you know, things get out of fashion within months. You know, things are called old-fashioned. What, what I thought was pretty cool a few years ago is now old-fashioned today. And I can, you know, I wonder if someone thinks, why do, we, why do we want to read this word, which is, you know, so many thousands of years ago? And perhaps there are some who think, maybe we should update the wording to make it more politically correct and so on. And if you're thinking that, I hope this morning as we open, as we open up Psalm 1 to show the words of this psalmist, that indeed the words of this psalm and the words of all scripture is always true, always helpful and intensely relevant for you and I in our lives today. The Bible is not some historical document recording some ancient philosophy or some agricultural techniques or military techniques that are outdated. It is the only source of truth that reveals to us the truth of our own hearts and the true need that each of us truly need. You know, we've made rapid advances in science and technology and we, we're sending men and machines to moon and Mars and so on. But for all that, we still can't live in peace with our neighbors. You know, this man is still man, woman is still woman. And we, we still have all the, you know, the bitterness and the anger and the frustration and the hate and the emotions. That hasn't changed. And in the midst of all the changes of the world, we can stand rock solid on one thing, the eternal, infallible, unchanging Word of God. As the prophet Isaiah put it, all people are like grass, 
and all their faithfulness like the flowers of the fields. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So let's, in all humility, turn to this word and open up to Psalm 1. And feel free to keep your Bibles open as we follow along. Let me begin at verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Blessed. It's not a word that's commonly used outside of church circles, is it? We, we, we say blessed within the church, within people to whom we know are Christians. And sometimes I've seen on social media, hashtag blessed, people putting up wonderful pictures of the fun they're having and, and they call that blessed. Commentators tell us that this is a very expressive word with a plural sense. Spurgeon says we could read it as all the blessedness or even all the multitude of blessedness. But the question is, what is blessedness? What does it really mean? At its core, blessedness, to put it simply, is happiness. To be happy. A deep sense of happiness. You know, you can be happy when your football team does well. You can be happy one week and then the next week you feel deflated. (laughs) Especially if uh, you think they lost because of an umpiring umpiring blunder. But that's the kind of happiness that changes. You know, one day you're up, one day you're down. It changes based on your external circumstances. But blessedness is a deeper sense of lasting joy. A joy that doesn't depend or doesn't change based on external factors. And every time the Bible uses the word blessed, it is to emphasize a sense of God's favor, God's smile upon that person. And isn't it appropriate, my friends, that it start with this psalm, the first word of the first psalm is this word, blessed. Blessed. Now, we, I spoke earlier about the relevance of God's word in our time, in our context. Isn't happiness the quest of all mankind, the desire of every man and woman and child? The American uh, Declaration of Independence talks about the inalienable rights of all men to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Isn't that man's quest? For some, it, you know, we pursue it in that promotion, that career that you've been longing for. If only you could get that, your life would be so much happier. Or a relationship that you've craved for. If only that worked out, how happy I'd be. 
perhaps for, this, for the younger folk who have gone out to their kids' program, it could be that toy, some toy that, that, you know, they wish their parents would understand how important it is. And I'm sure we all, grown-ups, have our own desires for various toys. We all seek happiness in so many ways. You know, I was thinking about this. Our Lord Jesus, when he began his ministry, remember his words at the famous Sermon on the Mount. Blessed, the same word in the Greek equivalent, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For what? For happiness? No, for righteousness. It's an odd thing, isn't it? That the more you hunger and thirst, the more you chase happiness, the more miserable you end up. And as Jesus preached at the Sermon on the Mount, and as this psalmist tells us in this psalm, the man a woman who is truly joyful, truly blessed, is the one who seeks not after happiness, but after righteousness. And all the toys in the world will one day break, and often, you know, you get bored with it pretty soon. All human relationships will at times sour, and all the money in the world cannot buy love and peace at home. But true blessedness, true joy, is only found in the Lord. And let's turn our attention to what the psalmist has to say. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, if this psalmist had been writing today, I'm sure you know, people would have jumped up and said, Oh, you can't start with a negative. That's wrong. Start with a positive. You know, you need to have positive affirmation and you know, leave the negative to the end or you know, just you know, try to hide it somehow. Don't dwell on it. My friends, the Bible is a realistic book. It knows the depths of our hearts. You know, even at our very best, when we think we're really, really good, we know, each one of us, that we stand with feet of clay. The best of men are men at best. We're always just one step away from chasing evil. And right at the beginning, the psalmist makes clear that if you walk in the path of evil, if that's the way you want to go, no matter what else you may get or not get, you will not find blessedness. You will not find lasting joy and happiness. You can seek your pleasure in sin, 
You can turn your back on God. You can walk away from all that is holy and pure. But if you do, unquestionably, inevitably, you will find yourself more and more miserable instead of instead of finding happiness. The pleasures of sin last, the Bible says, but for a season. And then inevitably shame, regret, guilt, misery. Now I don't have to dwell on that too much, do I? We, we look around the world today, we see the rich and famous people chasing after the things that the world pushes on us as this is what will give you happiness money and sex and power and all of this and look at the end ultimate, ultimately resulting in misery and shame and regret people want to say it's my life I want to do it, I want to do what makes me happy. I have one life, let me just go out and find happiness the way I want to. There is a way, the Bible says, that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. And in another place, the way of the sinner is hard. It's a hard life. And look at the progression in verse 1. Walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of mockers. It's a picture of the entrapment of sin. I was thinking about a, you know, a picture, perhaps like as we were driving past, we saw the Adelaide show is on at the showgrounds now. Imagine a child walking past one of those rides. The child walks slowly past, captivated by the ride. And then he or she stands next to the ride. And eventually, they convince their parents to come along and sit in the ride with them. There's a progression, isn't there? You're walking, you're standing, you're sitting, you're settled. And that's the progression of sin. Now we think we can play around with sin. We can walk on by. We think we can be in control. But the day comes when sin has us, has us in its grip. And we find ourselves trapped in the slavery of sin. The psalmist warns us, you walk down that path. Eventually you find yourself mocking and scoffing at the very things of God. Now we live in a, in a day of influences. I don't know if you've heard that term, but it's on social media. People say, people put up posts of the wonderful things they're doing and they promote various products and they say, this is how you should live your life, influences. But I wonder, my friends, what are the things that influence us? Who are our influences in life? 
What are the voices we're listening to? The books we're reading, the websites we're visiting, the movies, the songs we listen to. It's a question each one of us needs to examine in our own hearts. Whose counsel are we walking in? And then the psalmist now shifts his emphasis in verse 2. Let me read verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now it's interesting, isn't it, the way the psalmist sets up this uh, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in this or sit in this, or, sorry, or stand in this or sit in that. And then you'd expect a similar kind of progression to say, rather, the blessed man is somebody who walks this way, sits this way, stands this way. But instead, he sort of visually and verbally breaks that pattern. He draws attention by breaking that pattern with the word delight. Delight, for his delight is in the law of the Lord. You know, for some of us who have been in the church for a while, it's easy to read the first verse and say, oh, those those are those people out there walking in sin, sitting in sin, mocking God. But me, I read the word, you know, 20 minutes a day, I give 10% to charity, I do this, I do that. And I'm glad the psalmist didn't say, blessed is the man who does this, that, and the other. Because it's not about legalism. And how easy it is to fall into that trap. Do you remember this story that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector? There was this tax collector who knew that he was a sinner, fell far short of the glory of God. And he stood afar from the temple and he beat his breast and he cried out for mercy. And meanwhile the Pharisee, he sauntered up boastfully and he said, Oh, I thank you God that I'm not like that man over there doing all that. And There's such a real temptation, isn't it, that we can think we are so much better than others. How easy it is to become either a legalist or a hypocrite. But the blessed man is neither a legalist or a hypocrite. He is a man who delights in God's word. And it's crucial. The word delight is crucial because the blessed man doesn't look at God's word as a curse or a burden. He is not crushed under the weight of the law but delights in it. And that surely means that this is a man who has truly recognized his sinfulness before a holy God. A man or a woman who truly and utterly trusts in God's mercy and grace, not in himself. This is not a man who is a hypocrite or a man who is gloating in his own goodness. Rather, as Jesus put it, this is a man who is poor in spirit, 
who sees his own unworthiness and delights in the awesome holiness of God. Now the psalm the psalmist says delights in the law of the Lord because at the time at that time in Israel's history they had only the first five books of the Bible collectively called the law. And I wonder my friends we in the 21st century we have the full revelation of God's word the Old Testament and the New. We have God's word in the palm of our hands in you know these books in, in our, on our phones do we truly delight can we like this psalmist say I'm a blessed man who delights in God's law now the word picture is of a man who is in the presence of the of the lady he loves his face lights up you can't hide that you you can't hide that delight it overflows As I I was considering this this morning, I I truly asked myself, can I say this truly? Do I delight in God's word? And if I'm honest, I know there are times when I, I would rather delight in those things out there that the psalmist talks about in verse 1, those things that I shouldn't be delighting in. But they are so much more tempting so much more attractive and let's face it my friends we have an enemy who is prowling the destroyer of our souls Satan who is seeking to keep us down we have a world that is pressing against us trying to divert us from God we have our own flesh that is weak fighting against the work of the spirit and how in the midst of all that the midst of trial and temptation can we honestly delight in God's word I'm speaking to your experience I'm speaking my own experience I believe the key is to remember that we are delighting not merely in some abstract philosophy or some, some doctrine. We are delighting in a person. We are delighting in our Father. We are delighting in the God of heaven and earth. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. We know of no cure for the love of evil in a Christian like daily communion with the Lord let me repeat that we know of no cure for the love of evil in a Christian like daily communion with the Lord you know it's one thing to read God's word in a sense in a legalistic way because I have to or whatever but it's another thing to delight in God's word because you're spending communion with him You're enjoying his presence. You're seeking his face. This is this is not a set of do's and don'ts 
This is a relationship with your Father who loves you, who cares for you. The psalmist expounds this further in the second part of that verse. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, a couple of nuances here which would be good to unpack. Now, to meditate day and night, it means to be influenced by God's word in every aspect of our lives. At home, at work, at the office kitchen, in the playground, at our homes, when we talk to each other, when we're frustrated, when we're irritated, when we're in the midst of trials, when temptation strikes, to be influenced by God's word. And when we hear the word meditate, we often think of a, the, the picture we get is a, is a person sitting cross-legged and trying to empty their mind of everything. That's the Eastern concept of meditation. But in the Christian sense, to meditate is not to empty your mind, but to actively and intentionally fill your mind with the Word of God. Now, I've uh, found great help in a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by a man named Donald Whitney, a book I'd recommend. And one of the things I found really helpful was an analogy he used to imagine the Word of God like a tea bag and ourselves as water. And just as you, you know, dip the tea bag in water. Now, some of us, now we just want to do a quick dip, glance through a few verses, close the Word and move on. But to really be influenced by God's word, to heed it, we need to let it soak in. To work through our hearts, to apply it to every aspect of our lives. And just as the water takes on the color and the taste of the tea, we, we too need to take on God's word and think and act in ways that are honoring and in accordance with his word. Listen to uh, the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart, Lord, that I may not sin against you, O Lord. And again in verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my part. And I urge each one of us today that we will indeed seek out God's word, that it may be a light to our path. So we don't take it for granted that we have God's word, his revealed word to us, that we seek it out. And may it be a light to our paths. Right. And I want to finish up by 
looking at the two pictures presented to us from verses 3 to 5. Let me read verses 3 to 5. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The blessed man is like a tree. A tree that is planted, you know, deliberately planted by a gardener. It isn't a tree that's just randomly growing up. And it's, it's a picture that you know, calls to mind God planting us in the life-giving stream of Jesus. A stream of righteousness in the midst of a desert of sin. I was struck by the similarity with the prophet Jeremiah quotes in Jeremiah chapter 17. Let me read, it, read what he says in Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You know, the... The picture of a tree that bears fruit is a wonderful picture, especially in the Middle Eastern context, where there's so much of desert and barrenness. To have a tree that is, that is nourishing others is a, is a great blessing. The blessed man is a blessing to others. I'm thankful to Alistair Begg, who helped illuminate how that, that tree bears fruit, you know. Think about the fruits of humility and patience and long-suffering in times of trial. The righteous man bears fruits of integrity and purity and holiness in times of temptation. Fruits of gentleness, kindness and love in times of persecution and provocation it's not that the blessed man will have no difficulties or will face no trials no he's like a tree that, that faces drought and, and the wind blowing and, and trials of all kinds coming but in the midst of that he's like the wise man who's built his house on the rock and though the rain falls and the floods come this man stands firm. And not so the wicked. Look at the complete contrast. They're like chaff. Like the outer covering of the wheat grain that is blown away as the husk is threshed. Here today, flashing in the sky and then gone tomorrow. Now the the picture is these people with all their philosophies and the glitz and the glamour and the justification for their sins. 
and then utterly blown away. Listen to the words of uh, King David in Psalm 37. He, He brings a very similar picture. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a green tree in its native soil. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. That's the picture of sin. Of people living in sin who, who turned their back on God. Here today, gone tomorrow. You can't even find any, any trace of their legacy. It is one thing to be drawn to the glamour of sin. But look, my friends, to the end of that life. I've always been struck by the words of Lord Byron. Lord Byron was an English poet in the late 18th and early 19th century. He lived a life of indulgence in sin. A life in rejection to God. And in his 36th year, he wrote these words. My days are in the yellow leaf. The flowers and the fruits of love are gone. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine and mine alone. 36 years, a great mind burnt out in sin. That's what sin does. It promises so much and leaves us in despair and darkness. But as I finish, my friends, I want to point us to the words of King David and how appropriate it was that this is the psalm that was read to us as part of the public reading of Scripture. Psalm 32. As I turn there, let me remind us again of David. Now David, we often remember as a a great man of God, and he was. The man who knocked down Goliath, yes. The man who won so many victories for God, true. But he was also a man who plumbed the very depths of sin. Who walked who sat, who stood in the company of sin. Remember his adultery with his soldier's wife. And then to top it all, he covered it up by murdering his loyal soldier, pretending to be this wonderful king. But when the word of God convicted him through the prophet Nathan, he repented. And in the midst of all the tears and the brokenness he wrote these words blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit my friends we all like David have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us can stand on our own goodness 
and think, oh, I've never sinned, I've never walked in the way of sinners. We all have. If we examine our hearts, we know the sin, the guilt, the shame. But God, in His great mercy, has given us His only Son, that whoever believes in Him may not perish, but have eternal life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took on the curse of sin. He took on the curse, the misery, the pain on the cross. And ultimately the wrath of God. That you and I, unworthy sinners, may know what it is to be truly blessed. To know what it is to be truly joyful. He took the cup of wrath that we might find the cup of blessing the blessing of eternal joy the blessing of delighting in the presence of our heavenly father that we may be like a tree planted in streams of living water yielding our fruits in season I urge you my friends if this morning you've heard God's word Do not delay, do not doubt, do not despair. Rather, delight in our Heavenly Father. Turn to the fount of all blessing and find lasting joy and peace and happiness in the streams of His everlasting love and mercy.